Welcome to Food for Thought at Loaves and Fishes. My name is David Hott, the CEO of Loaves and Fishes, and I'm honored to spend time with you talking about things that matter in our community, specifically helping to feed the need. Good afternoon. This is David Hott, CEO of Loaves and Fishes. I'm here with Ben Collier of the FarmLink Project, and he and I are going to have a conversation about, honestly, the space that both of us are lucky enough to be part of. And Loaves and Fishes, uh, through the a la carte food recovery program, has been so fortunate to have met his organization and the wonderful team members that are there that help to coordinate activities with food recovery. And I think we're up to like 180,000 pounds of recovered fresh produce from your organization and counting. And, you know, it, it's just so wonderful. So I'll just turn it over to you. Can you introduce yourself and what you're doing? Sure. Maybe I should record all of my first meetings with our community partners. But uh, David, it's awesome to meet you and everyone else uh, who's following along. Uh, my name is Ben Collier. I'm a co-founder and CEO at the FarmLink Project. And I'm excited to share a little bit more about what we're doing and how we're working together. Right on, right on. I know that there's a tremendous amount of activity that you and your team are up to. Take us through like origin story. Like how did it all begin? Sure. So although this is a podcast, we we're just talking about how I don't necessarily feel like I always look like a normal CEO. And the reality is uh, that's okay. I, we started farming <laughs> in April of 2020. I was a junior in college at the time and I was studying applied math. So this is not necessarily my background, nor was it the background of many of my peers. But in April of 2020, the commercial food industry was shutting down. The pandemic was causing supply chain shutdown everywhere. But as a result, food was piling up on farms. And we read story after story about farmers facing surplus. And at the same time, there were just as many articles about food banks facing the longest lines they'd ever seen. And we didn't know anything about this at the time, David. But we thought, okay, let's just call some of these farmers. Let's see if we can connect one farm with one food bank. And that's what we did. We read, we've, we found local articles national ones and, and and more and probably called 200 farmers before we finally got through to someone who said that they had a pile of 2 million pounds of onions with nowhere to go. It was uh, Shea Myers and the New York Times had actually just written this article about him and a handful of other growers. And he said, if you get a truck here, you can take whatever you can. And so we did. And the next day connected with a farmer that day after day was throwing away thousands of eggs. And so in back-to-back -back days, we pulled together some friends and family funding. And we uh, paid for a truck driver to go and pick up about 40,000 pounds of onions, bring that back to a local food bank. The next day, James and Aiden, two of my co-founders, actually rented a U-Haul themselves, You know, strapped a bed sheet to the side of it, <laughs> said FarmLink on it. Right on. <laughs> they picked up 11,000 eggs and brought those back to their local food bank. And that was the start of FarmLink. And I um, you know, won't give every day that detailed, but the next three weeks, we just reached out to all of our friends through social media, LinkedIn, and just said, if you want to join us, we're calling farmers, we're fundraising, we're storytelling. And what happened was some, we actually reached back out, Jordan, another early team member, she reached back out to the person who had written that New York Times article, said, hey, we read your article, here's what we did with it. We were connected with Shay, and they wrote a follow-up piece. So three weeks in, we don't even know what we're doing. And suddenly we're in the New York Times, kind of forced <laughs> kind of forced our hand to take a next step, although we were excited to either way. 
That is so awesome. And what a wonderful example of what people can do when they make a decision to make a difference. And that's really, in my experience, the a la carte food recovery program started with me in a truck. And, a, and of course, Dr. Nancy Fishman, who's the founder of Forgotten Harvest in Illinois. Um, you know, she, it was her idea. She just called me and said, David, come check it out. And if you know Nancy, you do what she says. And I did, jumped in a truck and went and did what you just described in one vehicle at, uh, you know, it was just, it, and it took off from there. And so yeah. what a cool way to enter. Like, what do you think was the real like heart of why you felt this work? You talked about math being your area of study. <laughs> why did you decide that one day this was something you were going to focus on? That's a good question. I don't know if there's one path. Uh, I would say very personally speaking, and FarmLink is not a personal project in the sense that it's the product of hundreds of students and dozens from the very start. But I grew up, you know, halfway through growing up being diagnosed with celiac, not being able to eat gluten and realizing the world is a hell of a lot uh, different when you have no idea whether or not you're going to be able to, you know, eat what's available at a restaurant. And that's when I have the privilege of choice. And so for the last, for the 10 years leading up to farm, like I was reading, you know, the ingredient of everything that I put in my body. I was cooking a lot because I wanted to replicate the things that I couldn't eat at, you know, at restaurants. But the reality is I, I was very lucky to have consistent access to food, but that did give me an appreciation for just how difficult that can be, even in an environment where you have the freedom of choice. And so when we started FarmLink, it was at a time where millions of people were food insecure for the first time in their lives. No one is a hungry person. You, you, you face it, you experience it. And at the start of the pandemic, there were millions of people that were facing hunger for the first time. And had never needed to go to a food bank or food pantry in their lives. Most of those people waited weeks and weeks in food insecurity before they actually reached out for help. And I think that this is now a little bit of a tangent but early on. Please. In, I love tangents. Keep yeah, them coming. <laughs> well, I, I think early on in the pandemic, we started to recognize there are so many people that will know where their local food pantry is and will be food insecure. And they won't go because of the stigma associated with that choice or because it's yeah. available there isn't going to fit their needs. And the reason we focused on produce at FarmLink was fresh produce is expensive. It's difficult to access. And at the same time, it seems to be the root of what so many people uh, find dignity and, and comfort in when they think of food. And so for us, building relationships with farmers getting fresh food to communities where people are facing hunger so regularly, that felt like the highest dignity, most impactful thing we could focus on. And there are a hell of a lot of people focusing on getting produce, but even more focused on getting shelf-stable goods. I mean, you run a food bank, you know that the shelf-stable stuff is, is vital for survival. I think the produce is vital for success or for thriving. So that's really where we started. And I, I think the focus on produce has been a huge part of FarmLink since then. I'll pause there, but I, I would say that your very thoughtful question about what personally tied me to it, I, I think really at the beginning of the pandemic, this just stood out to us as something that didn't make sense. It was a time when so many people felt helpless, wanted to contribute in some way, and the juxtaposition of one place with so much food with nowhere to go, another place struggling to get food through the doors, we thought, all right, let's just dive in. Let's start small and let's, let's move fast. You can't see me, but I'm clapping because I celebrate <laughs> that. I mean, for me, the reality is that emotional messages related to personal experience turn into change 
and we get to become who we want to see out in the world. And, you know, food, specifically produce, is so unavailable in some areas of our our local areas and in our state community, in our country, right? And yeah. if somebody truly is enabled to be able to produce those meals like you suggested, you know, you learned about menu items because of the challenges you faced, you know, how do we continue to expand upon teaching and training and helping others to know how to use these ingredients that would otherwise be put into the landfill, turned into methane, and then that kills mother nature. And, you know, I joke about this, but I am a hippie with short hair. I want to feed people. I do not want the food to go into the ground. I would no. love to be able to say that we change, you know, is it 35% of, of, of food is wasted in the United States? One in four people suffer from food insecurity, right? So, that's your neighbor, that's your cousin, that's the young person that you may see walking down the street. Like people are in need and it's so wonderful that we, you and I and our organizations get to be involved in figuring out creative solutions to keep it out of the ground. You shared a cool moment about the New York Times. Like I was gonna say, like, how do you top that? But <laughs> can you share with me like a memory that really charged you? Because I know in food recovery, there were days I, I shifted out of bed after working my 80th hour that week and I was spent. Yeah. However, I could scoot over and put my feet on the ground, say a prayer and say, I get to go help feed people and then go and then I'd get to do that. Can you share uh, some pivotal moment or pivotal moments that have helped you to just stay the course on the mission that you all created? I think that there are a lot of different stakeholders of our work. There's the students that have grown and built FarmLink, but personally grown and gained so much from it. There are the people that have supported us through donating. There are the farmers who help us with the food access. There are the community organizations that receive and distribute our food. I think I've had moments like that with each of those groups of stakeholders. One, actually, uh, in the first few months, the first summer of FarmLink, we got a donation and it had about $900 of cash in it, which is it's a good donation for anyone to make. And then we get this letter and it's written in what must have been crayon. And it's Aww. this girl who says, you know, my name is Chloe, AKA farmer hots and plots. And she then writes a letter about how she has a flower stand and she <laughs> heard about FarmLink. <laughs> it makes me choke up. She like heard about FarmLink and uh, felt like, Oh, I, I saw someone that kind of looked more like me uh, doing this work. And I wanted to give it to someone that, I felt like um, was going to do something special. And she's nine or 10. We're twice her age, but we're still a lot closer in her age, you know, than most people. And it was the most beautiful note and genuinely impactful donation. And I, I think that was a moment where I thought people are really resonating with the story we're telling very early on. I think that on the farmer side, I worked in about a, in our first month with this gentleman named Doug Hess, and he grew he grew potatoes that were in abundance at the moment. And we worked with him for about three weeks to figure out a packaging solution because he's like, I want to get these uh, to you guys, but I don't have the means to load them into trucks right now because he was doing seed potatoes. And so he, uh, we sent cardboard boxes. He had his team build them out. He loaded them, and one of my teammates drove from California up to Idaho and you know met with him and interviewed him, and he just shared this very earnest story about how he's you know. The fifth generation farmer, he has never experienced something like this. And maybe his great, great grandfather with, I think he talked about like the Spanish flu had gone through something, but he, 
He said there was so much uncertainty and the worst day in a farmer's life is the day they have to throw away their own food. And so yeah. I think those moments where, yes, we want to be the financial value add for farmers. We want to prove that we're the best option for them from a financial and strategic standpoint, but to also feel like, okay, we are helping these growers who at their core, they want to feed people too. That, that, that was a really special moment in those first few weeks as well. Right on, right on. And I love that you have specific individual stories to tell. And, yeah. and I, and I appreciate that. And I honor you with that, the desire and the connection. And as you shared, you teared up and so did I, <laughs> what a wonder. I, and it, I think it's a beautiful example of what humans can, when given a common purpose and coming together, we all have a responsibility to impact change. And that's just, you know, I'm not trying to preach to anybody. Um, I am a minister's kid. I can't help myself. However, I feel so passionate about helping people and, and we get to here and we get to use those ingredients that we have gleaned from your organization and put them into our meals. And then those meals become cells in people's bodies. And it's like, you know, the, the, the packaging that we get to hand to those individuals, we also get to share with other agency partners that are throughout Santa Clara and San Mateo County. And it's like, it takes a village. I know that sounds cliche. However, yeah. it takes a village. It takes all of us together working towards a common purpose. And no, I'm not running for political office. I'm telling <laughs> you that, in fact, if you're listening to us, we're trying to charge the conversation to poke at you, to get you involved, like to, to have you think about creative ways to work towards solutions in this space. So with that said... You, please, you you look like you want to say something. I know we can see each other. However, we just record the audio, right? But that's what I dig. We get to see each other. And maybe one day we'll, we'll be able to meet each other. And I look forward to that day. But that said, please, please, I just stirred up. I stirred up some thought. Please share. Well, you talk about collaborating. And I think it's really worthwhile to distinguish the different roles that we play in this supply chain that gets food to people. Because... I think a lot of people hear about the FarmLink project and think, okay, that's a food bank, maybe. Uh, I don't know. And the reality is we're not. And we have never rescued a single truckload of food that hasn't required collaborating with at least one, but often realistically many community organization partners, food banks, et cetera. So if we rescue a truckload of food, we're sending it up to you. All of the hands in your organization then are involved in getting that food to communities fighting hunger. And what FarmLink is really providing is the transportation and logistics, yes, but really more than that, I think it's collaboration and visibility at a level that this space really needs. There are hundreds and hundreds of food banks in the United States. There's no through line that connects all of them. And we're not trying to build a network that says this is how you should do it. But the reality is our food system is a continental and global food system. All of the growers that are growing the most food in this country, they have 20 different distribution centers around the country. And I think it's an unrealistic task for a single food bank in a single county to say, oh, we're going to be able to provide a unilateral solution for that farmer. And what FarmLink hopes to do is say, okay, where there are productive and existing relationships between food banks and their growers, we really don't want to be involved. But if we can help a grower that doesn't have a solution for the full volume of food that's going to waste or wants to be able to say, all right, wherever it is, we're going to take care of it with FarmLink. And they know they're going to get it to really amazing hunger fighting charities that are on the ground doing that. That's the connecting piece we want to play. 
And I think that there, especially, you know, I love that I'm talking to you who's in this industry. There's a perception that FarmLink is sometimes out there to, you know, steal donors or to duplicate relationships. And the reality is we can't recover a single truckload of food without a food bank also being involved in it. We have nowhere to send it. And so <laughs> I, I think that, yeah, uh, I think it's worth yeah. sharing with, uh, with you and with well, whoever's listening. Yeah. And I, I think that's a wonder and to, and to support that and to celebrate what he just said, we are a connected unit of individuals trying to do similar work. None yeah. of us can do this alone. You know, um, we couldn't do what we do unless we had individuals and organizations like the FarmLink project that provides that connection between the field and the people that we help to serve. The other thing that it provides is a distribution system that is shared, right? So yes, the, the, the reach can be extensive. However, where it started from is one human talking to another human with a common interest in trying to connect food to people, yeah. not food to ground. We actually don't have the, uh, the mindset that FarmLink is just collecting food from farms and getting it to food banks because we're really not. And it's not just farms, it's cold storage facilities, it's distribution centers, it's terminal markets, warehouses, anywhere where bulk surplus may be going to waste. But we also talk about just as much as that, how we're able to be connecting organizations like you guys with each other. Um, a, a good 40% of the food that we've moved over the past year hasn't come from us building a relationship with a farmer, but a food bank saying, hey, FarmLink, we have access to five truckloads of Brussels sprouts. We can only take two. Can you find a home for the other three? And the most beautiful product of that is the farmer has a better solution. It's better for the climate. And other hunger fighting charities are benefiting from this food bank that selflessly said, we trust FarmLink. We trust the other charities are going to benefit from this food. We trust it because the farmer has a more complete solution. They're going to come back and donate again. Because I've spoken with a bunch of farmers who have said, if I have five truckloads of Brussels sprouts, and then someone takes two and I still have three truckloads of Brussels sprouts. I've got the same problem as before. I've got 120,000 pounds of Brussels sprouts with nowhere to go. And I think that that collaborative mindset is so, is, is so essential. And it's a really important part of what we're doing too. We're not just farm to food bank as much as the farm link project or the single, the simple 30 second elevator pitch might, might suggest. Yeah. And I, I love that. And I, and I think as the energy has increased, I'm sure your experience has been, once you earn that trust, it's so important to consistently maintain that trust. Yeah. And everybody who knows me knows that if I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And the team that does the tough work that I had done and do, like they know that my passion is about, if I say I'm going to do something, we're going to do it. And I'm so grateful that the team members at Loaves and Fishes have the same passion. And they laugh at me sometimes because I'm so passionate and I don't care. I mean, it's like we laugh together, right? So, you know, you talked about, you know, the or again, the origin story, and I appreciate that. Can you share with us some, if, if you could, you know, being a math guy, how much of an impact from a perspective of pounds recovered or avoidance to landfill or avoidance that would have otherwise went into methane. Can you share some of those, those, those stats? I'm a geek. I like them. Yeah. <laughs> However, can you share some of that? Absolutely. So the scale we are operating today, we recovered about 40 million pounds of food in 2022. 
And when I say recovered, I mean, we helped connect it to other hunger fighting charities around the country. We set a moonshot goal, let's recover 100 million pounds. And I thought maybe if we get 60 or 70, that'd be a great year. And I'll tell you, David, we're on track to recover probably 100 to 110 million pounds of food this year. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> and so that will put us, you know, somewhere north of 150 in our lifetime, which is over 120 million meals worth of fresh produce, which is a somewhat oversimplified metric. Uh, we're actually trying to move away to, and to better track direct servings of fresh produce that we're moving because that's a little bit easier to to defend. Looking at it from a climate standpoint, I mean, the impact is large. In terms of water input, this is our estimate is this is north of 2 billion gallons of water that would have otherwise have been used to then feed waste. And from a, an emissions standpoint, uh, we've done a lot of metric calculation and the, met, the number we're settling around is a little bit over three pounds of carbon equivalents are being prevented per pound of food that we're recovering. And so yeah, over well, close to 500 million pounds of greenhouse gas emissions prevented. I think that it's important to look at that in the context of the bigger picture, though. The meal gap in this country is somewhere between six and seven billion meals. And I think about a number like 100 million and I think, OK, 100 million is a lot it actually can start to take slashes at this overall number of, of hunger and food insecurity in this country. And it's not going to happen with just FarmLink, but there is a direct path to scaling what we're doing. What we're doing, the food is still there. We're operating 20% more efficiently this year than last year at two and a half times the size. I think that we could be bringing half a billion pounds of fresh produce into this industry with consistency without disrupting the other supply chains that are existing within a matter of years. And I think if you couple that with empowering more food banks to collaborate directly with each other, to have a more adopted mindset of sharing resources, supporting each other, sourcing to excess, building more innovative solutions for farmers, where this isn't just FarmLink doing it, this is the entire industry getting behind it. I really believe that some substantial progress is is just around the corner. So, um, you know, we we can we can hop on a soapbox and talk about how much change we think is possible. But I, I really believe it's true, and I think it's urgent, and I think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic that it's possible. Right on, and agreed. And I stand with you in that respect because it takes conversations like this with other like-minded individuals to get involved, to do something to move the needle. And the needle is important because my children, my grandchildren are going to be affected by the negative decisions that I make if I don't do something about this necessary focus on reducing waste and saving our planet. I mean, that's just the truth. And at the same time, I get to help feed the community. And there's nothing in my experience like handing a plate of food to someone who had to walk through that stigma. You talked about it earlier, you know, that stigmatized idea that if you come to a, a, a serving site at Loaves and Fishes that someone's going to judge you. Well, no, they're not. They're going to welcome you with open arms. They're not going to ask you any questions. And they're going to ask you if you want seconds. And how can I help you more? And let me give you a, a cup of water. Let me help you more. What can we do to be of service to you? And the, so anyway, I'm, and now I'll go on my soapbox, right? Sure. But, I love that. you know, you, we, the proverbial capital W, capital E, can solve anything. Individually, I think is where we get selfish and self-centered and we think about ourselves a little more than maybe we should. 
and then we don't help the mass. And so it's wonderful and encouraging to hear about the energy that's behind the activity that you're doing. So how do you fund all this? That's a lot of work. That's, I mean, you're talking about tripling, quadrupling and continuing to grow. Where do you find the funding for that? Well, we, uh, we need to keep finding it, first of all. Uh, <laughs> I would say that there's, there's a lot of room for, for growth. Um, we have not tapped into government funding yet. Uh, we're a fully funded 501c3 nonprofit on individual gifts, corporate partnerships, and foundation grants so far. And I think that we're doing as much as we can with a we can get in the numbers. This is this is industry talk. We're getting doing the most we can with a six to seven million dollar budget right now, which is fantastic. That being said, if we want to be moving hundreds of millions of pounds of food per year, that's where it gets up, you know, double that. Uh, and I think the our main cost is the transportation and logistics. Uh, as much yeah. as we provide that, it's so additive to the farmers, it's additive to the food banks, to the communities receiving this food. Every level of stakeholder benefits from this work. So as we grow, I really hope that the messaging that comes through is, you know, by funding FarmLink, it, it really is ho hopefully um, an investment in those other levels of this stakeholder chain that are a part of this work. As the very same goes with what you're doing at the Family Kitchen. And by the way, do you call loaves and fishes a food bank or is that actually not the term at all? No, no, it's okay. We do not, you know, loaves and fishes Family Kitchen. It's, it's, it started out with one meal, right? And it's become an organization that provides 1.8 million meals to the communities that we serve. Mm -hmm. And we create meals in a commercial kitchen. We have two commercial kitchens in Morgan Hill, California, where our kitchen team, our chef has created menu items. So we create meals. And then we also distribute those meals throughout hundred and about 153 agency partners that we help to support. So to answer your original question, I didn't mean to sound like a commercial, couldn't help it, but we're not a food bank. We work directly with the food bank. They provide uh, ingredients that we use within our meals. However, what the FarmLink project has done to help us is the fresh produce that we receive from you all, all y'all in plural, we get to take those ingredients and prepare meals to reduce our food cost. So if we just look at what we've received, we're reducing food costs at a scale that's never happened at Loaves and Fishes because that. we're receiving those donations, which in turn, we're able to also spread those donations to other food recovery organizations throughout Santa Clara and San Mateo County. We get to take those items that you send, that you've connected us to and create the meals to be able to provide directly to those that we serve. So it's wonderful. Long-winded answer to your simple question. Look, I, I don't want to oversimplify with the language I'm using, so that's very helpful. I have a, a case study of something that we're dealing with right now that I think is really interesting that I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on, which is... Please. We were reached out to by the West Virginia Department of Agriculture. And this is brand new. This is the first time I've even talked about this because they just said it's okay to. About six weeks ago, when they told us over a dozen farmers in our state lost their processing partners for their apples about a month before harvest. And we have over 16 million pounds of apples with nowhere to go. And they have a budget from USDA that says we can cover the farmer's input costs and harvest costs if 
you can figure out a packaging and distribution solution. And we have about 15 food banks lined up that can each take one or two truckloads. There are 400 truckloads with nowhere to go. And we said in very FarmLink fashion, before even thinking about it, we'll figure it out. <laughs> That's what we've been working on for the last <laughs> weeks is moving so far. Well, the last four weeks since they started being available to us, moved over 130 truckloads of apples and have about 25 lined up to ship out over the next few days. And we'll keep pushing as long as the harvest keeps happening. You know, it's it's a little bit of a race of time when the weather gets cold, when eventually we will stop being able to harvest these apples. But as long as we can, we will. And I think this is the most powerful display of the collective potential of this industry. From what I learned in some preliminary research, the largest moment of food recovery I could find was Around the year 2000, 100 truckloads of potatoes in the Northwest were recovered and took a bunch of food banks working together to do it. And in four weeks, we moved 130. And I I can't find anything that says that this isn't the largest moment ever. And it's a third of what's there. And moments like these are happening again and again and again. Last year, 50 million pounds of bananas went to waste in Mexico because these little brown spots were at the bottom of the peels from an early cold front. All of their contracts were lost. And I've heard that People are anticipating huge surplus of potatoes in the next year. And these, this is not an instance of a freak incident. And so I, I guess I bring the question to you of, first of all, does this feel like it is a new possibility of, of scale? Is the, Does this feel like this has happened before? And then secondarily, what else would you want to see from an organization like FarmLink to make something like that consistently possible? What a great question. And to answer your question, I think it's not about whether it happened before or not. I think it's about people being willing to discuss that it is and has happened now. (laughs) I think there was less likelihood to hear that truth before than there is now. And there's more willingness now to do something about it. So do I think that it's different? Yes. And I think it's I give you credit because you've started the conversation to get the energy behind it and the spirit behind which what your organization is doing is helping people to become willing to actually share that they need the support. Second part of my answer to your question, sign me up. I'll get the message out to the world. I'll talk about it. I think that, yes, we're a local-based nonprofit in the San Francisco Bay Area that provides 1.8 million meals to the communities that we serve. Why can't we do more? It all goes back to funding, just like you said. Yeah. So why can't we get groups, organizations, food recovery organizations, um, food banks around the collective energy to get something to change so that we can all work at this together because each one of us should carry our own weight in this, right? So to answer your question, yes, and there's a lot of follow-up. What it sounds to me like is that you have found a way to say, hmm, yes, we can do it. And then you get with your team and go, I just said, yes, what are we going to do? And I've experienced that. People that know me know that I say yes. I rarely say no. Yeah. They know they're going to call me and I'm going to say, what do you think I'm going to say? Yes. Okay. Well then consider it. Yes. Right. And then to your point, how do you do it? So what can we do or what can others that are listening to this podcast do 
to help with that energy that you have started? And what would you like to see? What do you envision? That's a kind question, especially since Farmlink had to earn a lot of credibility to be having these conversations with really well-established and impactful groups like yours. So thank you. I think that there are three pieces of the mindset that if our entire industry adopted, I think we would grow in ways that we've never grown before. The first is I think we need to adopt a mindset and an openness to innovation to support the food system itself. If we have more innovative solutions that allow farmers and growers and food producers to rescue more food for less time and money than it costs them right now, we will have access to more food with consistency. Like better, more innovative solutions for our food producers are better for this industry. So I think supporting those that are pursuing that should be done. And that's that's a no-brainer. I think all of these are going to be no-brainers for you, David, but they're not a no-brainer for everyone in this space. And the second, we need to advocate for collaboration. If you have access to more food than your charity needs, call on another charity, call on another organization. And it may not be the community that you traditionally serve. It is absolutely within the mission that everyone has put forward to be able to get that food to someone else who can benefit from it. And then the final piece that I think is the most complex and nuanced is recognizing that having the food producers involved in this conversation is important. That the donor, the food donor, their choice actually improves outcomes. And what I mean is, I said this earlier, we don't want to steal donors. I hate that term. And I really dislike the term of our donor. We don't own a donor at FarmLink. No one owns a donor. That's an oxymoronic term. More broadly, I, I think to own a donor, the mindset of that, it's it fails to create space for a more effective allocation of those resources if there's one to be had. And to center FarmLink and what I'm trying to say is, I would be okay with any hunger fighting charity in the country reaching out to any of the people who donates food to us. Because if that donor chooses to give food to the other charity, one of two things is happening. Either that charity is providing a better service for the donor, which long-term is going to see that more food gets rescued. It's better for the farmer. It's better for the climate. It's better for those who are receiving that food. But the other piece is that donor may be going to the recipient because the recipient has communicated such a compelling need that the donor thinks they're making more of an impact by going to them directly. In which case, I would also want to see that happen. Both of those are better outcomes. And I think that especially for a space where so many people have been doing this for a long time, the idea of, of change or people changing their solutions for how they're dealing with this stuff, it, it is very scary. But I think the last thing we want is for hunger fighting charities to turn on each other when that happens. And that's something we've experienced quite a bit. And so I think those three pieces alone, if we got behind that as an industry, we would see unimaginable growth. Right on. And Ben, well said. And Again, I want to congratulate you on your wonderful success, and I know that it takes a team, and I, I appreciate your team's spirit in, in working with our team, um, and I appreciate that you, from, from your group of individual humans, deciding to do something that needed to happen at a time that it had to happen, look at what the outcome looks like. So I celebrate you, and I congratulate you on your many successes your successes up to now and your many successes in the future. And I look forward to the day that I get to shake your hand and meet you in person. Let's make it happen. Yeah, I absolutely agree. So you know, if you want to leave one thought with the listeners who decide to sign in and listen to the hippie with short hair, <laughs> what would you want to leave our listeners with as that call to action or yeah. whatever it is that comes up for you? I would love for anyone listening to move forward and thinking about this space, believing that 
genuine positive change is possible. We just released a documentary on Tuesday called Abundance, the Farmlink Story. It's it's on YouTube. You can literally Google search it. Um, but the whole premise of why we believe this is possible is we grow more than enough food to feed this entire population, which tells us there is there is everything we need to be able to do this but the collaboration that's happened so far. And so believe that change is possible and couple that with the urgency that it's worth doing something about today. I love that we've been able to collaborate with hundreds of amazing people that we continue to learn from every day. I admire what you do. My sister just started at Santa Clara University, so I'll be up there for sure. So I'll come by. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Please do. You're always welcome. I'd love to walk you through the new kitchen that we built. I want you to meet the team that you may have met via the phone or email I'll show you the space, bring you to a distribution site, show you where the food is created, and then also where we serve the food. That would be awesome. You let me know. It'll be a wonderful day. My wife just actually graduated from the counseling psychology program at Santa Clara University. Ah, so she, she's an alum. Yeah, there you go. So we, you know, hey, I, I could talk to you all day. I, I really appreciate your passion. Uh, I also appreciate your willingness to come on and join us in the conversation. You know, we, we are all about trying to create a space that gets people who are doing similar work together to talk about the real world things that are happening in this space. And at the same time, we as an organization get to feed people. So thank you so much, Ben, for, for sharing your story. Congratulations again on this many successes that I get to witness you say. The, you, could you just mention once more the documentary that's coming out? Where can people find it again? Right on YouTube. Uh, it's also through our website, farmlinkproject.org. But if you go to YouTube and you search Farmlink Abundance, I'm sure that'll be the first 20-minute doc that comes up. Right on, right on. Well, again, Ben, thank you so much. And uh, again, I, I look forward to meeting you in person. And to the listeners out there, we just had a wonderful conversation about, you know, this hippie with short hair and another group of humans at the Farmlink Project starting a wave that this surfer can jump onto with his surfboard and ride out. So let's all get involved. Let's do something. If you heard something in this conversation, do something. <laughs> Don't just talk about it. Get up and do something. Get involved. And uh, if you have any questions, give me a call. Give Ben a call. You know, reach out. We can help give you the words you need to have the conversation that we hope you have. So thanks again. And till the next time. Bless you all, and thank you for listening. Thank you so much for joining us today on this episode. I appreciate your time and consideration with all the podcasts that are out there in the ether. I thank you for choosing this one. Remember that if you'd like to be part of the conversation, please contact me directly at david at loavesfishes.org. Together, we can accomplish many things. And I hope the conversation that you heard today will help to influence you to be part of said conversation. Take good care. And until next time, be blessed.